This is but one of a thousand true crimes. Welcome back to A Thousand True Crimes. You are here with Chelsea and Joe. Hey guys. How you doing, girl? How's that poison ivy? It's itchy, but it's getting better. It's getting better. Good. <laughs> good. How about you? How's your week All you can ask for. It's good. It's it's very tiring just living that toddlerhood life. But yeah. other than that, I mean, I can't really complain. It's been good. And we've had beautiful weather this week, like gorgeous. And it rained like yes. hardcore today, and my sinuses, my allergies are like all that pollen. Gone. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, thank <laughs> gosh. So hopefully it won't be as bad because now that we had the first initial bloom, but Aww. I probably just jinxed us. <laughs> I was gonna say no. <laughs> That's not how that works. But <laughs> welcome to North Carolina. All right. Well. We kind of have a long episode, so I want to get into it relatively quickly, um, but okay. what are you drinking over there? Some just Sauvignon Blanc. I keep it simple. Nice and simple. I just have a Diet Coke because I did not go to the store, so that's what I got, which no is good problem. because this documentary is... I, oh, go ahead. I was going to just do like water or something today. That was my goal, and then... We had a complete, like, <laughs> horrible nap time situation happen, and it's just been... Everyone's fine. Not that kind of horrible. Temper tantrum <laughs> after temper tantrum after temper tantrum. So I was like, I texted my husband. I was like, please just bring some wine home. Like, I just need to... Please send help. Please. And I, I pretty much was like, all right, if he doesn't bring wine home, then it's God's way of saying no. But he brought wine home so Woo. i was like okay <laughs> thank god i would love some wine i actually right. might uh go get some after this but who knows i might be too tired um but the documentary i'm covering is called the pig farm um and it's 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 fine i'm not gonna say it's a bad documentary um it's just a little all over the place so again this is one of the situations where if it feels weird or something doesn't make sense there's a lot of names um, just ask for clarification. So that's my main source. Then I also use Murderpedia for this one. Um, so here we go. So um, it's Vancouver. It's 1997. And more than a dozen women are disappearing from Toronto's downtown east side. Um, misery has a lot of company here. Um, there's a lot of crime, a lot of drugs. And a lot of people who abuse them and also abuse the people who are addicted to them. Mm -hmm. um, so this is kind of the, the downtown east side in the 90s, the late 90s. Um, okay. Also, um, side note, I love how last week you told me, oh, I'm doing like an old time crime. Like it's older. And so I was thinking like. Like I, thought it, I thought it was older than this. And you just said 1997. Bitch, we were like jamming out to Spice Girls right there. Like, he didn't get <laughs> that's convicted. not old timer. He didn't get convi convicted until 2002. Yeah. I know. I yeah, I knew he got away with it for a long ass time. But still, like, just don't ever associate old time 
crime again for the 90s please thank you so much i can't promise that i won't do that because i just didn't know the dates i thought it was older <laughs> i can't i can't <laughs> help what i don't know um but yes you're right this is not as old as i thought it was i thought this was from like way back in the 70s but it's not it is from the 90s okay so um the sex workers that work here are primarily what they call survival sex workers, um, which are like women who are very addicted and uh, or who are in the throes of addiction and kind of use sex work to, you know, get drugs, get money, get food. Um, a lot of times they're either like so uh, desperate for the drug they make bad choices mm -hmm. or, you know, they're high. And so they don't really know what's going on around them to basically okay. keep keep themselves safe. And so they call it a hunting ground for predators. To which I say, in the words of Jillian Pensavalli and Patrick Hines, if we know that this is a hunting ground for predators, why is it not being dealt with? <laughs> I know, right? It's like, okay, so maybe we add some more cops down there. Okay. <laughs> Wait, Thank you something. so much. And I don't also, know. I don't know. Something, also, right? Also, <laughs> let's arrest the Johns and not just the women. Or but thank and, you so much. Welcome to support, my TED Talk. Right? So provide some addiction mm -hmm. support for these women. Like, let's let's figure out how to end this. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, come on. So, um, I guess the... The man that we're going to be talking about, his name is Willie Picton or uh, William or no, Robert Picton, excuse me. And um, I guess they have this audio diary that he made. So periodically I'll be referencing that. But generally speaking, it was really stupid. So um, I don't know. I just don't feel like his voice needs to be heard that much. So but we do learn from one of his audio diaries is that he was raised on what he called a small 13 acre farm in new westminster which a thir that's not small is that a small farm um 13 acres i think anything i think anything more than two acres is huge that's massive so that's the wrong person to ask it's <laughs> a lot of, like that's a lot of land i could i could get lost so yeah that's fucking huge thank you so much easily um but there were no neighbors close by and he talks about how there's like a lot of stupid things that he's done in his life and with time he's going to explain everything. I don't know. It didn't really lead anywhere. But the documentary will explain everything. So we're going to jump into Saturday, March 22nd at 1997. So Willie's driving around East Side, and he saw a woman who we learn is named Stitch. Um, she's a mm -hmm. mother of two who had struggled with addiction. And so she meets him and he says that he wants to kind of just take her further out of town, like a further distance than she, she wanted to go. And so she's like, eh, I don't really want to go that far. And he's like, listen, I'll give you a hundred bucks and I'll bring you back within an hour and a half. And so she's like, okay, all right. So they, he, she gets in the car and she finds there's like a bra in the seat and she, and some women's underwear. And she asks like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's just from a date that I had last week. So she gets in the car okay. and they, they start driving and she says that she kind of got a weird feeling, but they got on the highway pretty fast. So there was no chance for her to kind of like bail out. So she's like, okay, well, we're on our way. So they pull up to this place. And he's got to stop to open the gate. Like, you know how country places usually have a mm -hmm. gate to drive yeah. down the road? And so Girl, she's, get out of the car and run. 
Well, she's kind of looking around the property, and she says you would have never known that it was a farm. It looked like a junkyard. Like, there were broken cars piled up. There was stuff everywhere. Um, so they pull in, and they go inside, and they head towards the back. And Stitch says that she remembers when she's walking through the kitchen that it was just kind of grubby and dirty. And um, But she did notice that there was a big butcher knife sitting on the counter. So remember this. Okay. So they make their way back into what she thought was the bedroom. But when she got there, all she saw was a big sheet of plastic on the ground with a sleeping bag. No. Mm-mm. No, sir. <laughs> I mean, that's, de- no. that's got Dexter written all over it. That well, the moment if I the mo no, pulling up none of this would happen. We would have known. Yeah, we would have known so long before this. <laughs> no, the gate would. I would have been like, Mm-mm, I'm out. Thank you so much. And I would just. I, I don't know. But you have I, to okay, remember. Anyways, but we have to. We do have to remember a lot of times for these women. The a lot of these women mm-hmm. were struggling with addiction, and so when you are jonesing for a fix or high. You are not going to mm-hmm. make the wisest choices. And that, she, and if she also has children, if she, she's if, probably you know, exhausted. <laughs> yeah, well, that or she's trying to make sure she has money to feed her kids. Uh, no, you, she she was there for drugs. <laughs> okay, it, well. it, it was gonna be a quid pro quo situation plus some extra cash, I, okay. which I think is what motivated her to take the risk of going so far. Okay, so um. So she asks the guy um, if she could use his phone to call her boyfriend and just let him know where she was. And so she's going through the phone book to find the phone number for the hotel. Do you remember phone books? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I still get them randomly. I know. They still do- never use them, but get them. And while she's looking through, she felt someone come up behind her and, like, touch her hand. And so she turns and she sees that it was Willie. And within a second, he had put a handcuff around her wrist. Now, at this point, she realizes that some shit's going down, and they start to fight. Um, she said what you and I say. She she was like, it, it was him or me. She was like, I was trying to kill him at that point. Like, I'm just going to say that, to be yeah. honest. And I was like, you go, girl. That's all I'm saying is you go, girl. Yeah, I so, feel like it's okay. Yeah, she remembers that the butcher knife was in the kitchen, and she grabs it. And she does get a few stabs in on him. But she manages to get out of the door, out of the trailer on this property. And so, you know, she's like kind of staggering away from the property and she feels all this warm liquid coming down her body. Mm. And she knows that it's blood. Um, She later finds out that she had been stabbed four times. She was stabbed twice in the abdomen, once in the ribs, which punctured her lung, and then once in her arm. So she's like staggering off the property, like just waiting for him to catch up with her. Because like she's not running very fast. She's losing blood. She's got a collapsed lung. And this woman, Maria Mills, who's just driving down the road one day, sees this woman walking along the side, just screaming, please help me, please help me. And so they're in their car and she's still got the knife in her hand, which like, of course, is a little jarring. But then Maria saw the handcuffs still dangling from her wrist. (gasps) And that's when she knew like something was really wrong. So they got her an ambulance, got her to the hospital. Um, Turns out. This happened to be the same hospital that Picton had driven himself to because he had also gotten some stab wounds. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. So once they both got there and, you know, had been tended to, a nurse found a handcuff key in Picton's pants pockets. 
And so, I mean, I'm sure there have been conversations going on about what about who did this to you yeah Yeah. and so they take the key up and sure enough it unlocks the handcuffs Mm. so uh the rcmp was alerted at this point and um they wrote up they were there were four different charges that they were willing to prosecute him on um or that they wrote him up on and okay but the prosecution didn't think it was a very strong case because Stitch was both a drug user and a sex worker, and mm-hmm. she wasn't credible. So no charges were ever brought against Picton. Now, this was in 1997, and I want everyone to remember, okay. at this point in time, he could have been put in jail, but they chose not to prosecute. Mm. Because she's a sex worker and a drug addict. An okay, addict. cool. I mean, it doesn't matter that she has stab wounds that could that could have freaking killed her. Stab wounds and, and handcuffs um, on her. And handcuffs. <laughs> and the key matches to the person who she's telling you tried to kill her, but that's it's fine. Yeah. It's you know, she's Neither not credible. Here Neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah. The physical evidence doesn't match up. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it was probably just a lover's quarrel, okay. It's probably it. You know, oh God, women. Know. Women oh. women don't know, you know what they're talking about. She probably tried to steal his money or something. Exactly. She probably tried to, yes. she probably tried to change the price yes. during the, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. During oh it. God. Yep. She probably, Once, she probably took the drugs and then didn't follow through with her end of the bargain. I bet that's what it was. No. Probably. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. Um, so just, yeah, everyone, I'm going to bring this back up at the end, but just bear this in mind. He could have been arrested in 1997 when this happened. So, cut to, we're hearing some more audio from Picton's audio journal. It's a lot of stupid stuff about, like, how the farm was hard. Um, at one point, he says he got mauled by a bull, which is just stupid. And because he's stupid, I don't mind saying that he's stupid. You don't get mauled by bulls. Um, but all this is really basically leading up to how the Pictons got this farm. So it turns out that this 13-acre farm that the Pictons owned mm-hmm. um, in Port... Mm-hmm, Coquidium, Coquilium, Canada. Don't ask me. You're, you're on your own up there. I'm sorry. Someone correct me. I don't know. And in the mid-90s, when development really started taking off in the city, the Pictons made a fortune off of selling off parcels of their land Okay. to developers. But as their wealth grew, the farm kind of became this revolving door for the need for the needy and the documentary says the needy and the greedy like you know they thought they were clever for that (laughs) so (laughs) we meet lisa yields um remember her lisa uh she's a friend of bobby i mean uh willie and she said that before the wealth, it was a very functioning working farm. But after the money came in, the boys, she calls them, they stopped tending to the farm. And more people started coming around, kind of like like everyone kind of wanted a piece of the pie. And Picton okay. always bought their stories, whether they were truthful, whether they weren't. He, he was always willing to help these people out. And okay. While on the surface, this looks like just a really nice, generous, loving person, what it's not. you will hope to see is, is in a way, because of all this giving, it essentially turned out to be the reason he was able to get away with what he got away with for so long. And again, just 
follow this line mm-hmm. through the story. So we're back in 1997. It was a ruse. Uh, it's not so much that it was a ruse. Just bear with. Just bear with. Okay. Okay. So back in 1997, the police are not really even noticing that these women were part of a collective of women going missing because they're they're transients. Mm-hmm. They're just sex workers. Who cares? Yeah, they're not real. They're not real people. It's fine. It doesn't matter. And so we're introduced. Obviously, we're being very sarcastic. I yes, just want to please. Make that I hope everyone well knows. Known. Yeah. We are, yes, we are being extremely sarcastic. <laughs> we do not believe this. This is not our belief. No, we're making fun of the <laughs> idiot men who were idiots for so long. Um, so then we, we hear of 13 year old Marnie Faye and, you know, she was described Mm. as a happy, healthy, normal kid in her, but in her teens, she did get into drugs. And on August 30th of 1997, which was her birthday, she didn't call her family, which they thought was weird. she's 13. No, 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 no. This is in 1997. It doesn't say, oh, she's 23. She's 23. Oh, I thought you said 13. In her. And I was like, if you're. 13 year old daughter didn't call you on her birthday first off why Where is, is she? she not with you on her birthday <laughs> second off, yeah you, you better call 911 like you need to file a report that's a missing person right there no she was 23 I think I said the 30th okay on August 30th oh okay <laughs> okay 23 yeah. got it different completely different age group got it okay um but they kind of because they knew she had gotten into drugs and that she wasn't the most reliable person at that point in her life. They they didn't they were like, well, she's probably just out partying and it wasn't a huge deal. But after about a week and a half, her stepmom started to get that mom sense that something was wrong. She says mm-hmm. that she could hear Marnie's screams it, like she just could hear oh. them in her head. Yeah, I know. Um. So then we meet again. There's a lot of names. Then we meet Dave Dixon. So at this time, he was a beat cop on the east side. And so he had been in the business for about a decade. So he was really used to people coming and going. But he was the one who started really noticing that there was a pattern going on. He started realizing, like, there were regulars who who just hadn't come around for a while and nobody had seen them. So mm-hmm. he just kind of started writing down, like, names, things that he yeah. would notice about these kind of people. Um, and then we jump back to Lisa. You remember Lisa, the family friend? She starts – she is, like, a, a Picton apologist. Like, she – Oh, think, God. Yeah, I don't think that she cares – gives a shit that Picton did all these things. I don't think that she – Thinks that he's completely guilty. I don't know. She's just a picked an apologist. And she starts talking to us about mental health issues. And um, I, I threw this in there because I just wanted to say that, like, I do understand that, like, mental health issues can affect someone's ability to understand right from wrong. But in this particular case, I don't give a shit what his mental health issues are. He needs to be locked up. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, I mean, even if your mental health, if you're having mental health, a mental health crisis or diagnosis, whatever, and it is causing harm to yourself or to others, like you do need to be either in an institute, institu- institution, is that what they still, is yeah, same, still same, called yeah, nowadays? Yeah. Okay. 
institution or you need to be, like you said, locked up in jail. I mean, I think there's a very fine line between if it's a mental health hospital or if it's like actual physical jail, prison. And as of right now and from what I think where this case is going, I'm going to go ahead and say like he probably needs to just be in prison and not and get mental health assistance through jail and not in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. I'm right there with you. Um, But she does introduce us. Lisa talks to us about this woman called Gina, who she also stays with us. So remember Lisa, remember Gina. Um, Gina Houston, who called herself, called herself. This is not the words Mm -hmm. that I would use. The biggest and baddest crack whore around. Um, Okay. You know what? If she wants to call herself that. Live your life, girl. More power to you. Yeah. Lisa says that this woman, Gina, was just straight up taking advantage of Picton for drugs, essentially, and money. Mm-hmm. But that Picton, for whatever reason, was just madly in love with her. And Gina knew it. Okay. But it didn't go anywhere. Okay. I mean, they stayed friends for a very long time. But they never, at one point, he tried to propose to her and she said no. So, like, they didn't ever become a thing. But they stayed close for a very long time. Um. Then we jump back to 1997. Very jumpy. Everyone buckle up. Um, Yeah. And Marnie has been missing for months. Um, Her stepmother comes back to say that the police were just kind of like, you know, she's an adult. Like, we can't really help you. She's allowed to go missing if she wants to go missing. There's no body. So her stepmom, like, tries to call, like, welfare, social services, like, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, is she, like, can you tell me if she's at the hostel that she wanted to be at? Um, to, like, see if there was any registration of, like, like, has she picked up her welfare checks? Has she, is she staying mm-hmm. at, like, a state, like, like a, like a women's home or a hostel or something like that? But they said because of confidentiality, they couldn't tell her anything. But Lord, I know, I know. I get girl. it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But at the same time, when you know the end result, you're like, damn it! I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but during the same time, Officer Dixon was in fact doing some legwork. He was doing kind of the same thing that Marnie's mother-in-law was doing. He was checking to see if they were, because um, a lot of these women were using social services. Um, and so he was checking to see if they had gotten their welfare checks. He was checking to see if they had checked into, like, the houses and stuff that they were registered at. And, you know, because he was a pol- police officer, he had more access and mm-hmm. more rights. But every time he would find, like, a missing woman and they would go and, like, see what their case information was, their cases were closed because it had been so long since they had collected their checks. So he's like, okay, okay, something's not right. These women are not. They're, they're not, like, something is happening. There's a pattern here. Yeah. Um, and the year went on. And it's not like they're sitting in a building because they OD'd and, right. like, no one's discovered the body yet. It's literally like, okay. And if they're not collecting their welfare checks, like, where the fuck are they? What? Yeah. Yeah. How are they living? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So as the year went on, more women started going missing. In April of 97, Sarah Devries goes missing. And what was unique about Sarah is that she had a lot of really loud advocates. Uh, one being her family, of course, and the other being a John who had come to fall madly in love with her. Um, he tells us at the okay. time that 
as a local in the community, they had no idea that there was, like, a huge number of women going missing. Like, this wasn't even put out by the police to be like, just so you know, there's a lot of women going missing. Um, be aware. Mm-hmm. And he says the police dropped the ball by just assuming that they were transients and moving on. And, and the fact that they they didn't try to alert the public that there was a pattern was, for him, really upsetting. Um, after about a month or so of Sarah being missing, the her John, he started a poster campaign, which he did for weeks. He just would print out stacks of posters and hand them out to people and post them up. And he also set up a tip line. I'm like, damn, this man really must have loved her. I know. (laughs) Okay. Do we ever know his name or is it? They do say his name. I didn't write it down though. Okay. So many names. (laughs) No, I get it. I get it. (laughs) He's more of a, he's more of a tool, a step in the story rather than like a key player in the story. So I tried to stick to just the key players. So Dave Dixon, the cop who had been kind of noticing Mm -hmm. things were going on, had noted her disappearance as well. And she was on his list of about 30 names of missing women that he was compiling. He knew without a doubt that something was going on. He just didn't know exactly, like, what. Like, he couldn't, like, not in the sense of, like, I think in his head he was like, I think somebody is killing those women. But you can't, like, you have to have stuff to present to the higher-ups to pursue that kind of a case. Yeah. You have to have some type of, like, evidence or, something, like, very something. convincing. Yeah. Yeah. So in June of 98, he took the information that he had compiled to the high, higher-ups. Um, the higher-up he took it to was a man called Mackay Dunn, and he takes it to a detective inspector, Kim Rosmo, who happens to be an expert on statistics and serial killers. So together, what they decide to do is to go back 20 years and look at the number of missing women and see, like, what the statistics look like. So from 78 to 94, there were zero to three women a year that would go missing. But then from 90. okay, so sorry, when you're saying women go missing, are they talking about in general or specifically the sex workers? I think in general, and I think, but I do think they're specifically looking at like the Toronto East Side or uh, East okay. End or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that they're looking at the whole city. Okay, I don't. I don't think. Okay. So in you know these whatever fifteen sixteen years, it's like every year there's zero to two women that go missing. However, from ninety five on the number skyrockets to like 10 11 13 like huge numbers each year and so okay this is when they're like okay serial killer alert allegedly according to them when you go higher up the the even higher ups we're still kind of brushing everything off with the transient argument as there was what they said according to our talking heads was that there was still no physical proof that these women had been harmed. So what they did was they put another Except officer. Except for. Wait, hold on, hold on. What was hold her on. name? Okay, okay, okay. What they decided to do was put another officer in the missing persons unit. Okay. That was their reaction. And that's going to, oh, oh, I mean, I mean, that's good. I feel like you probably need another person in there to help with the casework. But like, 
that's your answer yeah, that's and what also we- what was um yeah which one st- stitch you said stitch yeah I love how they said no one's been physically harmed. I would say she was physically harmed. I'm just going to go ahead and say that she was fucking physically harmed. And we should probably look into that That person. That was a domestic disturbance. And they were fine. (laughs) (laughs) But she was technically physically harmed. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Yeah. So now that matters. That matters. Uh, We're not quite there yet, but that matters. So keep, keep, Mm -hmm. keep note. So, <clears throat> oh, I did write his name down. I think I got soft and I wrote his name down. Uh, Sarah's John. His name is Wayne. <laughs> okay. You're like, oh, Wayne. I know. He tried. So we get to the summer of 98 and Wayne still looking for Sarah. Um, he had set up a hotline, like I said, and he got a lot of tips, but most of them weren't any good until one day this guy calls him and tells him this wild story about this pig farmer named Willie. And that he, the caller, knew a woman Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who worked on this man's farm cleaning for him. And in the trailer on the farm, the woman told the caller that he had all these women's clothes and IDs and that someone should look into it because it was really creepy. And the man says that he says to the woman, one of us has to say something. And the woman says, well, I'm not saying anything. And the man's like, well, I'm going to say something. And that's why he calls the tip line. We learn that this woman is Lisa. Remember Lisa? That's the supporter. The friend. The apologist. Yeah. Um, Girl, you're going to get mad. You're going to get mad. You're going to get mad. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. So Lisa and Bill, who turns out to be the caller, um, kind of are speculating. Like, I wonder if this is where all those women are ending up. And so Bill tells his story, but the police, I guess in Canada, and it might be the same here, I'm not sure, but I guess they needed a, like an eyewitness testimony to be able to get a warrant to go and search the property. And so okay. they needed, um, she probably says no, we, they needed Lisa to be the one to say something. So they track her down and talk to her. And she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never seen anything. Ugh, Lisa. So I just want to. I just want again. Okay, so this is ninety eight. So ninety seven, right? Could have stopped him then. Ninety eight. This is a year Could've later. Stopped him then. Okay. So, <clears throat> a guy named Ron Lapine, Lapine, um, another detective investigator, was put on the task of compiling a list of potential suspects, which was anyone who had shown violence against prostitutes. Which did include Willie from his situation with Stitch. However, okay. this was a massive list, like a huge Oh, I was going to go ahead and say, like, you're probably going to, you know, that extra person you put in missing persons unit, you should probably, like, have them partner up. We might need, like, 10 more of those. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> I know. You're one extra. It's ridiculous. So. Um. So they're start, but they're starting, you know, they're starting to try and figure out what's going on. So now we're jumping to February of 1999. A man called Andy Belmont found his way out to the farm doing odd jobs. 
He was fresh, freshly out of rehab for a heroin addiction. And um, Gina was the one who had recommended it to him because he was like, you can go out there. Like, he'll give you good money. He'll give you a place to stay. Like, it's not going to be super high stress. You're not going to be out on the streets. And so we did. And he said it was a good environment and a good opportunity. And um, he said that the two got really close together while he was there. Um, And then he took in another addict who was kicked out of a women's shelter for using drugs. And, mm-hmm. again, another recommendation from Gina. She was like, you should go and stay out with him. And she was also happy with the arrangement. She was like, I didn't have to do a lot of work to get decent pay. But with the increase in income also came the increase of drug use. So he's, like, relapsing them. He is, uh... This is what I believe, and I'll just go ahead and tell you guys now. What I believe is that he had addicts stay out on his place because he knew they would be a better alibi, right? Like, they would be less Mm -hmm. likely to say something to someone because they themselves also have issues with the law. And he wouldn't – he would have people to basically say, like, no, he wasn't, like, there. He didn't do that. I've never seen him do that, like – they were his protection, essentially. Okay. Okay. So, so about a month into this, um, Andy and Willie, they have a falling out. So Picton comes into the house and asks Andy if he wants to go get a hooker. And Andy's like, well, I'm not really into hookers. Um, and he's like pushing it and pushing it. And Andy's like, no, dude, like I really don't want to. And Andy says that Willie turns to him and says, do you know what I do to these hookers? And from underneath the bed, he pulls out a belt, a piece of wire, and some handcuffs. And then kind of like mimes out this scene of putting cuffs on a woman, putting a belt around her neck, and choking her out. And then he Mm. tells Andy that he takes them to the barn, hangs them, and guts them. Ew. No, thank you. So... Andy is speculating, and this is what I was kind of getting at earlier, right? So Andy thinks that because he was so deep in his addiction, Picton didn't think that Andy would say anything. In fact, Andy wonders if Picton was even skeptical if Andy would join in with him. Mm. Um, a couple days later, a few of his acquaintances, uh, both Andy's and Picton's, come out and, and kind of kick his ass, basically saying that Andy had stolen something from Picton, which he hadn't. But um, again, Andy thinks that it was just a scare tactic to make sure that Andy stayed quiet. And after okay. that, Andy just peaced out and didn't look back. Um, he just thought, he says now, like in the documentary, he says, like, I assumed if he actually was killing people out there, somebody would have caught him. Like, right? You, you kill people, you get caught. Yeah. And so... He didn't think that it was worth going out and saying anything to the police. I mean, okay. I don't hold I get it against where he's him. coming yeah, from. I don't hold, I don't it, against hold it against him. him. Yep, yep. I don't. And I can see where, like, if he has a past with the law, that he could be like, well, why would they believe me or whatever? But at the same time, like... I could never do that. Well, and I would what have the, such guilty conscience. What the police said is if he had... It might have allowed them the opportunity to narrow down that suspect field. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's true. 
Or I don't know, just listen to the woman that has Frickin stab stitch. wounds. I know. <laughs> stitch. I we mean, could have stopped like, all of this. No. <laughs> None of this had just to happen. Like Jesus. <laughs> oh. Okay. So a couple days later, the woman, Lynn is her name, who, who was out mm-hmm. there with Andy. Um, Andy says she was present during the ass whooping, but she says that she didn't see anything. Um, but she decides to go downtown with Picton to get a hooker. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, so he finds one and propositioned her. And the woman, after seeing Lynn in the car with him, is kind of lured into this false sense of security because she finds out that another woman is living at the farm. She's like, oh, okay, so we're we're safe. We're good. Yeah. So they get out there. They get their drugs. They get their booze. They're feeling good. And Picton, you know, asks her to follow through on her end of the bargain. And so they go off into one bedroom and Lynn goes into her room. And she says that she's not sure what brought her out of the room. Um, she's like, she can't remember. But she came out of her room and like she didn't hear anything in the trailer. And if you've never been in the okay. trailer, maybe you don't know. But like we've been in trailers. Like you can hear what's happening. Yeah. There's not a lot of privacy going on. Spin walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so she just kind of gets curious and starts like peeking in the rooms and like no one's there. She's like, where the fuck did they go? And she sees a light on in the bar. And we have to remember also she's high and drunk like at this point. Okay. Yeah. So she's like not really sure if this is what she's seeing. Well, and also not making. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. All of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so she sees a light on in the barn and she kind of just wanders over and um, opens the door and she sees the woman hanging upside down in the process of being disposed of. Um, Picton grabs her and basically tells her that if she said anything, she would be hanging up there with her. So she, I know she falls back on that good old fawn response and she's like, Hey, I'm just here for drugs. I'm not here causing problems. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to say nothing. And, and she gets out and she's okay. So I would be like, I'm going back to sleep. AKA I'm walking my, I'm going to run the fuck away. Right. The fuck now. Uh, I can just say is thank God that neither of us have like those kind of addiction problems because who knows what we would have done if that were the case. Um, so back. So now, so now we're back downtown and it's 1999. More women are continuing to go missing. Officers are essentially just drowning in this pool of possible suspects. Um, public pressure is starting to mount. Media attention is being directed at the case. And America's Most Wanted has even done even does an episode about it. Wow. I know. So, like, it's getting serious. Like, there's people that are starting to be like, mm, y'all need to look into this. There's something like going on, now. right? Yeah. So... Finally, in the summer of 99, the Vancouver police get a tip from an associate of Picton's who's telling the story of what Lynn told him. So Lynn told this guy the story. Um, His name was Ross Caldwell, but not super important. And then Ross is telling the police this story. And the local police, they believe him. Now, he is also an addict. Um, okay. So he's not the most coherent in how he's telling the story. But the police are like, okay, okay, okay. Will you come in and document this testimony? And he agrees. But when he came in, 
He was extremely high, and they weren't able to get anything Ugh. useful out of him. So then they're like, okay. Could you have just waited, like, 30 more minutes? I know. I know. I Come know, on. I Come know, on. So they're like, okay, well, maybe, though, we can get the statement from Lynn herself. So they track her down and they did convince her to come in. But she basically was like, Ross is a liar. I never saw. Oh, any my God. Of that. Come on. None of that. happened. Women. I don't know what you're talking about. We, I but, know we got to look out for ourselves, but we also got to look out for each other. Girl, come girl, on, girl. Um, they asked her if she'd be willing to do a lie detector test and she agreed. But on the day it was supposed to be performed, she disappeared. Um, the, one of the detectives, there's a lot of police that come and go, so I didn't keep track of all of their names, but one of the detectives, Mm -hmm. uh, says that after the interview, you know, after the fact in hindsight, like, you know, they were trying to talk to her and just be like, I'm sure this was like really traumatizing to see something like that. And it must've been really hard and, you know, trying to get her to say something and she said something to the extent of, and he, the, you know, he couldn't remember it completely, but he very remember specifically that she was like, yeah, it's like gross and yellow. And it didn't occur to him at the time, but later he was like, how would you know that human fat was yellow if you hadn't seen it? I would say biology class, but. Okay. And I'm not trying to throw shade, but again, these are sex workers in the 90s. I mean, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So we also find out from uh, Lynn today when she's talking, and I mean, she's about on the verge of tears when she says this. Like, I feel like she lives with regret about. It. I think it is the addiction, like truly for her. I think it's just the yeah. addiction that made her make these choices. I think that if she was sober and healthy, she wouldn't have. But she says. The reason that she didn't tell police anything was because she was using the information as blackmail against Picton for drugs. See, that takes some balls because he could easily be like, okay, here's some drugs and then just fucking kill you while you're passed out. Um, He didn't. Apparently he did pay. He did give her stuff from time to time. Um another one of the detectives was talking about how how much closer they would have been so much sooner if they had had any of these people fess up to what they had seen but what he says and I thought I just love this quote I thought this quote was really good because he said that's hindsight only defense attorneys are armed with hindsight never the police I was like oh oh Mm. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. (laughs) I had to write it down. I don't know. So now we're in the autumn of 1999. Picton is put under police surveillance, but it didn't show much. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't do anything. Um, On one occasion, they did see him with a female in her truck, and they stopped him in an effort to protect another potential victim from Mm -hmm. ending up on the farm. And it just turned out to be um, Gina's daughter. He was just driving her somewhere like she was fine. Um, Okay. But what this did was it blew the surveillance detail, like showed that they were there. Mm, So now they have like they got to start from ground zero. Yeah. So the investigation stalled. It stalled. And more women continued to disappear. One day 
um, January 19th of 2000, Willie actually showed up at the RCMP station with Gina. Um, she's very familiar with police and how that works. I mean, she was, what did she say? Mm-hmm. The biggest, baddest crack whore out there. Crack whore. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so she realized very quickly that they didn't have anything on him. Um, she says that Picton was the model of cooperation. She says that he told them to come out to the farm anytime they want. Take whatever swabs, whatever evidence they want. He's like, just tell me when you get to the gate. I'll let you in. And Okay, sorry. This is 1999, right? Yeah. Oh, no. This is, in, okay, this is so January of 2000. Okay, so DNA is just now really starting to, like, make its appearance. Okay. So, like, he might not even be aware that, like, no, we're starting to get technology that can fucking find what you're fucking doing. Uh, yeah. Kind of, sort of, because I, I know the ending Didn't to this. Didn't pan out, though. But <laughs> I know it doesn't. But still, but, like, he doesn't realize that, like, DNA is starting to, like. I am skeptical. Maybe. But I am skeptical, Chelsea, that between Gina and, uh, oh, the other, the apologist, whatever her name is, I think they're helping him. I think they're helping him. Because... I need to look this guy up. They took him out, uh, Robert Picton, or you can just type in Willie Picton. He'll come up. Um, because later they week that week they took him out. They went to the farm and there was nothing, nothing. So someone had cleaned up that place. You know what I mean? Like I. That's that's who they're protecting. Yeah. He looks like the hills have eyes. He doesn't look comforting. I would not. So nope, 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 no, 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 no. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! There's a photo of him. Oh, that's so fucked up. With the blood on his hands. With the blood on his hand, raising a pig. Yeah, he was a meat cutter. Um. Well, I figured that, but like. No, I meant to say that earlier. I got it. I meant to say that earlier, and I didn't say that. He was a meat cutter. That was his like job. He would cut meat for people. Yeah. But, like, you didn't need to, like, have that photo. He's, he's got blood on his hands. Okay, so they didn't find anything there. And That's there were other suspects who were the police were also honing in on. But over time, these suspects would get found guilty of other crimes. Like, none of them would prove to be their guy. So now we're mm-hmm. in the autumn of 2000. Picton has another person staying at the farm. Her name is Dinah Taylor. She's another addict struggling with her addiction. Um, she says the whole time that Picton was kind and caring toward her, trying to get her off drugs, but also giving her drugs. Like, it's just, it's so abusive and manipulative. This is why I'm skeptical that he didn't know exactly what he was doing by having all those addicts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says... Uh, Okay, so just remember that she's out there. Um, But a year goes by, and the case goes completely cold. So finally, a task force is formed, and they have to go through everything, which is, like, just lists and lists of names and people and notes and places. And while they're going through all of this, women keep disappearing I mean, why can't they put another surveillance team on him? I think there were a lot of things that the police could have done differently. 
Like, that's just my question. Like, be like, oh, shit, our cover's blown. Give it two months and let's go do it again. I don't know that they were certain that this was their guy at that point. Yep. Yep. She, she just what, she just rolled her what, eyes. What did that cop say? Hindsight <laughs> is um, the the defense are the only ones yeah. armed with hindsight. Never the police. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So meanwhile, we're jumping back. You remember the it's the same cop who was like the one who was like trying to get Lynn to confess and notice that she said that yell that like he saw something that was yeah. yellow and was like, oh, you wouldn't know that unless you've seen it. Uh, everything with the case was just eating at him. And I don't know if your phone is about to fall, but it just moved. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Sorry. I see you, but it just moved. I moved my head. I was like, what? <laughs> it's is there a ghost. It's the ghost of the house. I mean, I live on a military installation, probably. so nine times out of a ten, there probably is. But no, there's no ghost. It's just me not being able to keep my phone straight. Okay, s- so he gets permission to go out and meet uh, Picton. Um, just, he wasn't assigned to the case, but he just wanted to meet this person, like, in person. Like, see him. See his face. Like, see, like, what was going on. And he got out there, and Picton was cool as a cucumber. And he actually told the cop about, like, these two people that he used to have living on his property who were blackmailing him and trying to get him in trouble with the cops. And that's why the cops were harassing him so much. And so the cop says to him, I was like, hey, listen, if you want to get this all straightened out, you can just come take a polygraph. That's fine. Because remember in the 90s, we were real big in polygraphs. Yeah. Or like the end, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, of course never did. Um, yeah. So they said goodbye. And the cop says when he was shaking his hand that it was like the wettest, slimiest handshake. And he said it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. And as he's pulling away from the property, he kind of just thinks through the profile, quote unquote, of Picton and realized that it's the perfect profile for a serial killer. Yeah, white male, unassuming, not really that threatening. I mean, I think he looks threatening because he looks disgusting. But, like, he's he's just kind of He's just kind of there. a, yeah, yeah, he's just a country guy. Yeah. He's just there. Yeah. So, yeah. June 2001, a woman named Andrea Jonesbury goes missing. And she was actually a friend of Dinah, who was the woman who was staying mm-hmm. at the farm most recently with Picton. Yeah. Um, she, to this day, will not say this woman's name. She still says that she has no mm-hmm. idea what happened to her at all. Um, another woman named Serena Abbotsway, she was the one who went missing next. Now, she was a staple of the community. Yes, she was a sex worker, but she was extremely loud spoken about missing sex workers and how problematic it was. Okay. And she was involved a lot in because this is uh, Toronto. So there are, there's a big indigenous community. And so the missing and murdered indigenous women do a lot of work there. Um, and some of these women, it didn't identify them as indigenous, but they certainly look like they could have been. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them were indigenous women. Um but they they did like a march to try it and you know she was part of this gina was involved in this very outspoken um so people noticed when she went missing and she was also a friend of dinah's um okay 
And Dinah also, again, refuses to speak about this woman. In the documentary, when they asked her about it, she was like, I'm not talking about that. I'm done. I'm ending this. I'm ending this conversation. And she literally just walked off. And she looked like she was kind of fucked up when she was doing the interview. So, again, like, not in her best headspace. Um, Then we're jumping down to autumn of 2001. The task force starts to realize, as they're compiling all this collective information that the number of women missing was way way bigger than they thought individually Mm -hmm. and the police really start to come under scrutiny at this point two more women go missing people are telling them that there's too much infighting that they're not trying hard enough that they don't care about the fact that they're sex workers and like lower socioeconomic women um yeah the police are still struggling to narrow down the suspects when the Green River Killer was caught, they thought it maybe could have been him, too. But, of course, we know that it wasn't. Gina tells us this story, um, which was, I'm, I'm guessing because it didn't say the date, after autumn of 2001, but before the beginning of 2002, where she goes down to the farm to pick up a pig that Picton was processing for her. And she said that as soon as she walked into, the, like, the, the barn something felt off Mm -hmm. which you remember gina is like his friend like she's there all the time she lets him drive her kid around like they're good friends and so she walked in and something felt off and so she looked kind of around and she realized that the the bit the freezer the big freezer that was by the door that was just always there with meat in it now had a blanket laying over it and there were brand new tools laid out on it real dexter like yeah, because it's all the fucking ghosts of all the women that's been murdered being like, hello, hello, anybody? Oh, anybody? I don't think that's what anybody she's saying. Anybody see what the fuck's going on? Oh, I don't think that she's Jesus. saying it was a ghost. I think what she is speculating is that somewhere on that property was a dead woman and he was about to chop her up. That's why the, uh, the yeah, tools that's were what I'm saying. Oh. But I'm saying when she was like, something feels oh, off. Yeah, something feels off. It's like the ghost being like, you fucking think. So hello. Yeah. She's weirded out because she's like, hey, why is there this over the freezer? And also, like, why are there fresh, new, clean tools? Like, you don't have clean tools. Nothing out here is clean. And yeah, when she she like walks when you're getting your pig from him, I know. Ooh, you should probably have clean tools. She's the biggest, baddest, but brand new. Not like not to say that they're dirty. OK, but like, OK, got unused okay, got tools, got I should say. I should say unused okay. tools. OK. Um, and so she like walks over to the freezer to be like, what is going on over here? And she kind of turns around to look at Picton like what? And Picton, he sa- she says that he just shook her head at her. Like, don't. Mm. So we're at the beginning of 2002. Picton was only in the top 40 suspects that they had. Until one day, one beautiful, blessed day, a man named Scott Chubb comes forward with a tip. He was another former employee at the farm, and he told the cops that there were illegal weapons on the property in hopes for a payout for the tip. Um, He did not get said payout. However, this was enough to get a warrant. Was there illegal weapons on the property? Yeah, yeah, there were. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think just unregistered, like, handguns and shotguns, like, like not, like, Mm -hmm. major weapons, but just, like, not registered. I'm pretty sure Canada, you can't own. Oh, no, you can, but I think it's, like, very limited. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Not part of the story. Yeah. Just, I, I don't think it was, like, but like not like he had, like, machine guns or anything like that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, 
on February 5th, 2002, they show up unannounced. This Holy time. shit. This time they found women's. He did not have time. He did not have time. This time they found women's clothes, IDs, syringes, and an inhaler with Serena Abbott's name on it. And now they had all that they needed to tear the place apart. I'm not going to go into the details super bad. Um, it was really graphic and gory. One of the cops was like, when he heard that they were turning the farm into a crime scene, he was like, everyone who works at that crime scene is never going to be the same again because it's going to be so bad. And he was right. Um, mm-hmm. Picton was uh, off the bat charged for with only two counts of murder just so they could arrest him. Um, and so they, okay. they got him in. They go out to clean, like go through the property and see what they can find. Um they find body parts, they find bones, they find teeth, they find DNA, and they find belongings linked to over two dozen women. Mm. On December 17th of 2007, Picton was convicted of se- second degree murder in the deaths of these six women, Serena Abbotsway, Mona Lee Wilson, Andrea Jonesberry, Brenda Ann Wolf, Marnie Lee Frey, and Georgina Faith Pappen. Um, and he was sentenced to jail for 25 years to life. He will be eligible for parole in 25 years. He will probably not live to meet that date. Um, they also arrested Dinah, Lynn, and um, Pat Casanova. I don't know. I don't remember who Pat was um, basically in correlation because Lynn, you know, uh, kind of like a what's the word when you're like inhibiting an investigation? What's that charge called? Oh, um, is it just interfering with an investigation? No, there's a word for it. There's a word. No, there's a word. Google it. You're the listener. This is your job. <laughs> it's just, I think you're right. It's just hindering an investigation. Oh, OK. For some reason I thought it had a different name than that. Um, there it is in the united states in the united states yes in the in the u.s it is obstruction of justice but i don't know if that's everywhere because i'm also seeing something from no no no. that's that's fine um that's what i was gonna say anyways hindering an investigation too that's what i was gonna say anyways was it was essentially obstruction in australia essentially obstruction of justice in the canadian Mm -hmm. version of that but they did not get uh, they did not get convicted. Um, okay. So they were able to get the convictions on these uh, six women. But I am going to read off the names of the people who um, they also believe that he was guilty of murdering. Um, Jacqueline Michelle McDonald, Diane Rosemary Rock, Heather Kathleen Bottomley. Jennifer Lynn Furminger, Helen May Hallmark, Patricia Rose Johnson, Heather Chinnick, Tanya Hollick, Sherry Irving, Inga Monique Hall, Tiffany Drew, Sarah DeVries, Cynthia Felix, Angela Rebecca Jardine, Diana Melnick, there's a Jane Doe, Deborah Lynn Jones, Wendy Crawford, Carrie Koski, Andrea Faye Borhaven, Kara Louise Ellis, Mary Ann Clark, 
Yvonne Marie Bowen, Dawn Teresa Cray, and two unidentified women. Dang. So how many in total? Is he? He was convicted. I know he got the six. Convicted of six. The total number. But how many do they think? The to- so the total number that they have the names of is like 27. One, two, three, four. But they think it's more. So, uh, yeah, they think it's 33 women. Damn. 33 but it's probably more. women. It's probably more. But it's probably more. Yep. Because if that, if there were such large amounts of women missing since 97 and it was that long, which probably, yeah, that's, oh, Jesus Christ. And that is the Damn. case of the big farm, a.k.a. William fucking Picton. Yeah, May so he, so he would just hell. like, so he would just strangle them and then gut them essentially. Yeah, and chop them up. I mean, I could tell you the gory Ugh. stuff. They found like heads in the freezer. They found hands. They found feet. They found various body parts just around in various freezers. Well, yeah. When they dug up, but um, like the grounds, that's where they found like bones and teeth. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. He's horrible. Rotten hell. I hope he dies. Rotten hell. (laughs) I know. Like how it makes me so max. Like I'm like, ugh. I don't know. I know, girl. I know. (sighs) Well, that's such a fun note to end on. (laughs) Well, at least they got him. They got him. I mean, took them fucking long enough. Fucking long enough. So just remember, potentially, had they listened. To Dear Sweet Stitch, at the very beginning, potentially. Who said, 30, this fucker tried to kill me. Right. 30 women might have not died. 30 women. That's two and classrooms. <laughs> yes. That's two classrooms. Jesus. Yeah. I work with children. That's my context. There's, that's two classrooms. <laughs> that's actually really fucking depressing. Um damn I know well okay and 25 to life like I don't like the fact that he even gets like the chance of probation I don't think Canada from what I'm gathering because do you remember when we did Ken and Barbie I don't think Canada yeah I don't does think they life sentences I think every every life sentence has a chance of parole I just don't think they're gonna let him out <laughs> I fucking hope not no and I don't even I think mean I guess if it. you're so old yeah yeah how old is he now? I don't know. Very old. Look it up. See what his birthday is. I didn't look. I don't want to know anything about this man. He now keeps like popping up in my. He's 72. Now? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, he won't last much longer. He was born 1949. Yeah, he won't last much longer. I don't know. They might have like real good health care. He's in Canada. True. They might. There's no way they're treating him. There's no way they're treating him nice in there. No way. I don't know. There's a reason why Canadians have a really great reputation of being very nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. They're just serving them tea and crumpets. <laughs> That's England. <laughs> We're talking about French. <laughs> um, French colony. No, I. Anyways, well, may he rot. And yes, girl. Jesus Christ. I hope. The, the people that are dealing with the consequences of what they saw and girl 
addiction. I hope that they get the help they need. And I hope uh, very specifically that Gina rots in hell. I hope that Lynn rots in hell. And I hope that Dinah also. I hope the, the four of them all collectively rot together in hell because... And so they still believe he didn't do it or like... Okay, listen. Maybe I'll let Lynn off. She was the one who saw the woman hanging and then recanted and then used the information as blackmail. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps as she's gotten... She did seem very distraught when she was talking about it. But also like, okay. fuck you. Also, fuck you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's messed up. I know that other guy. Mm. There was that guy who was on the farm and he... I mean, he just... Like, he handled it well. Like, he... I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. It's difficult when it's you're. A, it's a sh- it's yeah. It's a very big. But gray. Uh, Gina, she knew. So fuck yeah. her. And then uh, what was the apologist name? Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Fuck her too. Fuck both of them because they fucking yeah. knew. They fucking knew. Mm. Do you think they ever helped? I don't know if Gina helped. I think that uh, Lisa helped hide evidence. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think that she hit it. And he says, because they play some stuff that he's like, the truth has never come out. Like, one day the truth will come out and the truth has never come out. And there were a lot of people who were, like, not, like, they hadn't seen anything on the farm, but they were at the farm, who were speculative that, like, he didn't do this alone. Mm, okay. Dang. All right. Well. No, girl. So on, on that a, lovely note. <laughs> What was your weekly win? Um, what was my weekly win this week? This week was a shit week. Okay, 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 okay. So, um, we just had like a rainy day, which is hard to like do stuff with the girls. And so, um, my old, my oldest little, she loves the library. She's my library buddy. We will spend hours in the library, mm-hmm. but she wanted, so we had this extra time. I was like, well, why don't we go to the library, pick out your books, and then, um, We'll go do, find something else to do. So we went to the library, picked out our books, and I was like, let's go to the magic shop because, like, let's go look at pagan things. I don't know, just for fun. It's a fun place to go. It's open. It's dry. And so we go in, yeah. and I told them they could each pick a crystal, and I would let them buy a crystal. And so I was explaining to them. I was like, you know, just got to kind of, like, find the crystal that's calling to you and then just pick it. Like, that's kind of how it works. And we were kind of talking about, like, pagan magic and what we mean when we say magic when we're talking that mm-hmm. context. Like, we're not talking about, like, Harry Potter magic. It's just spirituality. And, not Sabrina, the yeah, Yeah, it's not stuff like that. Um, Okay. And so they're looking around. I'm looking around. We all get our stuff. They get their crystals. And so I'm like, all right, let's read what your crystals were and let's see, like, what, like, what it means and what they help with. My big little, the crystal she picked is one that helps with anxiety, which she struggles with a lot. And then the, the little, little, she picked out one that it correlates with her birth sign. And they were, they were, like, shook. They were, like. It worked. And I was like, that's that's real life magic. That's that's, that's real magic. That's exciting. <laughs> so it was so cute. Aww, they had so yay. Much fun. Yeah, it's adorable. I loved it. Mm. Little witchy kids. But yeah, so that was my weekly win. What about you? What's yours? Mm. Um <laughs> I have a random day off work today. Ooh. Uh, not today. The other day, this week. Sorry. Wow. Okay. I had a random day off this week from work. You got it. You got it. And so I know <laughs> it's late. Um, so my friend and I took the kids to this like little farm in Aiden, North Carolina called Simply Natural Creamery. Uh-huh. Have you heard of them? Mm-mm. Okay. So I think they're kind of more like towards 
my side of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it was super cute. We got to like see this working dairy farm. We got ice cream. Did they we get to, to see the cows? Tractor. We got to see the calves. Aww. We didn't get to see. Well, they saw the cows, but we got to pet the calves, obviously. Yeah. A toddlers with a huge ass cow and cows make me nervous because they can. <laughs> They're, they're huge. <laughs> they're um, huge. Yeah. So it was just like a really great day. Aw, yay! Like a day. I love that. So that's how we clean. I love it. He, he, you know, little man made some core memories. Yes, he did. So that's, that's right. All right, you so, guys. Well, if you like what yeah. you're listening to, um, we would love if you would give us a like, a follow, or a subscribe for wherever you listen. You can also find us on Facebook at A Thousand True Crimes Podcast Discussion Group. And you can find us on Instagram at A Thousand True Crimes. And yeah, um, lock your doors. Get a dog. Never let them take you to a second location. I don't know. Stay safe out there, y'all. Please, yeah, for the love of God, stay please stay safe. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk to y'all next week. All right. Bye.